So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. And I said, oh, I, I, you know, I sort of do this cybersecurity podcast. And, you know, I talk about hackers and fraudsters and things. And they said, oh, it's such a big deal these days, isn't it? You know, you've got to be so careful. You've got to check people are who they say they are. And I thought to myself, yeah, you do. Who the fuck's burning my balls? Exactly. I, I said to them, Oi, how do I know you're real doctors? How do I know? Smashing Security, Episode 309. Synthetic Voices, Chat GPT Reflections, and Social Skirmishes, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 309. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, who do we have in the hot seat as our special guest this week? Drum roll, please. <laughs> we have Dave Bittner of the Cyberwire. Welcome. Ah. Hello. Good to be here. <laughs> Good to have you. You're a very busy man. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but I always have time for you. There's always time oh. for Carol and Graham. Always time in my oh. busy schedule. For... Graham and Carol, I think you'll find. Not uh, you know, no, actually, that's not what I said, Graham. No, it's not. Oh, oh wow. In my corner. I'm editing this half, so I could change the order around. I'm just saying. Okay. You could, and we would not be surprised. Now, uh, before we kick off, let's thank this week's sponsors, Bitwarden, Secure Envoy, and DigiCert. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Well, I'm going to be giving a warning for all podcast hosts. Oh, that's perfect for us. We're all podcasters. We are, all of us. It's true. Oh, my God. Uh, Dave, what about you? Uh, I'm going to talk about how ChatGPT reflects who we actually are and not who we aspire to be. Ooh, okay. And I'm going to look at how to tackle the big social media giants. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Well, chums, chums, I, I think, as we just said, we're all podcasters, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what most podcasts appear to be, is interviewing other podcasters. I mean, that's mm. that's the typical... No disrespect, Dave, because you're wonderful, <laughs> but a lot of podcasts <laughs> do speak to other podcast it's hosts. podcasters do, they? all the way down, yes. It is. <laughs> it's like, a, it's like what, what do they call it? One of those chains. It's, a, it's a, not the human centipede. Anyway, whatever it is. Circle jerk. Thank you. That's what I'm looking <laughs> oh. for. But that's what a lot of podcasts are all about. And 
I have been reading the news this week and I've been thinking, you know, are we really needed? Are podcasters a little bit like the Golga Frincham bee arc? Are they like the telephone sanitizers who the universe could do hey, without? Hey, are you talking us out of a job? What are you doing? Well, 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 I'm beginning to wonder if we are really needed. After 11 million episodes of The Cyberwire and Hacking Humans and or all those other shows mm. that Dave Bittner does, is he really really required any longer? I think he's very much required. Yes, I do. Go on. The reason why I ask this, the reason why I ask this mm-hmm. is, has Dave not made every burble and bumble and hiccup and err uh and interjection and sighed a hundred different ways and extruded every syllable known to man? Could no, not. No, because he's edited. <laughs> well... <laughs> But could not a computer program package together all of the noises his body has produced over these years into a microphone? Could it not take all of those and get him to say whatever they wanted him to say? Oh, yes, of course it could. Mm -hmm. Without paying him a dime. Mm -hmm. It's a worry, isn't it, for us professional podcasters? Yes. I say professional podcasters. It's a a worry for you, isn't it, Dave, a professional podcaster? I have thought about it, yes, absolutely. Right. Well, look, Graham, when you and I part ways, right, all this audio I have of you, it'll be like my Graham Cluley fighting your Graham Cluley. (laughs) It's a Graham Cluley cage match. (laughs) Two Grahams go in, only one comes out. Now, this... (laughs) Me in a cage fight. That's the most preposterous, (laughs) bare-chested, oiled up. We could put it on pay-per-view. Maybe he could wear a cape. (laughs) Maybe I'd be wearing an outfit like Sean Connery in Zardoz. Mm -hmm. It would be sort of a... Right. (laughs) Anyway, this is a genuine real concern of voice actors right now who say they are being asked to sign contracts, signing away the rights to their voices. So that the client's saying, well, you know, once you've recorded this for us, we reserve the right to generate whatever we like from your voice going forward. So if there's a bit of dialogue or ADR, which we require later, we're not going to call you back into the studio. We'd like just to do that artificially because we'll have enough of you to be able to do that. And then you can see the actor or actress going, you know, uh, why? Why do you need me to sign this clause? And the guy going, look, maybe you die. Maybe you die. We don't want to kill the movie. We don't want to kill your career. Right. Mm-hmm. And and also, of course, if other actors who are desperate, for, and let's face it, actors are desperate all the time for jobs. Mm. If other actors are signing these things just to get their name on the credits, then there's a pressure on you to go along with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And probably, well, quite possibly, there won't be any additional compensation if they do use your voice in this way. You've got it's hard to have any control over it. Is anyone just taking a little a black ballpoint pen and just making a nice straight line through that entire clause before they sign? Well, they might be, but then it's quite possible that we could hire it, your friend instead. Yeah, right. Well, a- absolutely, mm-hmm. right. It's quite possible. So imagine you are lucky enough to bag the gig of providing the voice for a hero in a hit video game. Right? It's a new video game. They've spent tens of millions of dollars on it. And you're the guy doing the voice. You're doing the woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. Yes. So, it's me. I, I, I love the gender fluidity for me being the guy. So that's cool. But I will yeah. go to the castle on top of the hill. I will defeat the monster. I will beat the bad guy. Because there's, there's so much text, isn't there? There's thousands of phrases spoken by hundreds of characters during the course of a game. And 
there are now AI voice services who are targeting specifically the gaming industry. And it's more cost-effective for the makers of the game, either to use a completely synthetic voice or to take the voice of the actors who've provided the skeleton text to get them to say everything else. And as they're making the game and they're deciding what the guys are going to say, they can change it dynamically just by typing on the keyboard Mm. and the voice will come out the other end. And even if you could copyright a voice, like if my voice is my voice exactly as it is, someone could take a recording of it and just, yeah, as you say, tweak it slightly so it would fall out of that. Right. You know? Make it a bit more Scottish, something like that. You know, they're thinking she's not Scottish (laughs) enough. We'll make her a little bit more Scottish. It's possible. Mm -hmm. So this tech to produce deep fake voices, it's available now to anyone. Right. I've been on the web. I've been playing around with... Now, I, I did obviously toy with the idea of uploading your voices to this and getting you to say embarrassing things. And that then I thought, seemed like way too much work. <laughs> it, well, but, <laughs> actually, I thought, maybe you wouldn't want me to do that. So I, so I didn't do that. I started doing it with my own voice, but it, it's still churning away, trying to think of, you know, what... But I recorded like 25 clips and I uploaded what? them. But... Yeah, well, why not? I was interested to see if I could deep fake my voice and how realistic I've it was. Mine. So I, I've done mine. I've thought, absolutely well, I, done mine. Have yeah, you? Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. And folk, if you, uh, our listeners who also listen to the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast have heard me talk about this. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, so there's a, there's a system out there called, uh, from Eleven Labs, uh, and they're yes. leading the way on this. And mm-hmm. um, I've loaded my voice into this. Uh, do you want to hear a quick sample? Yes! course. Researchers at Bitdefender have uncovered a phishing campaign in which hackers are abusing OneNote documents to move the async rat credential-stealing Trojan. The threat actors are sending emails with OneNote attachments that appear to be invoices from reputable Canadian gas retailer Ultramar, but that are actually malicious files deploying async rat, a remote access tool. That is Dave Bittner. Is it fair to say it sounds to me flatter than when you do these segments? Like it, yes. it sounds like you, but flatter. Yes. Like you just like you're maybe on Valium or something. And, and yeah. <laughs> Post happy hour, Dave. Yes. That's right. Uh, and that is what everybody says. That that flat is the word oh. that people are using with this. Um, so, hmm. but but this took ten minutes to do. To get that wow. close. To me, it sounds like you, Dave. Yeah. To me, it, it is convincing. Right. I could believe that was you. Yeah. And uh, it's not just superstars like you who are having your voices deep faked. Hermione Granger herself, actor Emma Watson, she has had her voice deep faked. Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. Read by Emma Watson. The Jewish doctrine of Marxism rejects the aristocratic principle of nature and replaces the eternal privilege of power and strength by the mass of numbers and their dead weight. Thus it denies... And it appears that she's reading an extract from Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf. So someone someone did that, which presumably Emma Watson wouldn't want to be heard Mm -hmm. saying. There is... um, I've never seen the TV show Rick and Morty. Mm. But I guess, uh, have you guys seen Rick and Morty? I've seen them. My son is very much into it. Right. It's a little too yes. loud for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, someone has generated the voice of Rick from Rick and Morty. Wow. And he can be heard saying, I'm going to beat my wife, Morty. I'm going to beat my fucking wife, Morty. I'm going to beat her to death, Morty. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. So awful mm-hmm. stuff. But people could presumably also say less contentious stuff or more 
you know. Well, the thing the thing with that particular one mm. is that Justin Roiland, the guy who voiced Rick until last year, is currently facing charges of domestic violence. Mm. And so someone have got him in his voice saying these things. Podcaster Joe Rogan, he's been heard saying all kinds of vile and unpleasant things. Um, no change there, then. Uh, <laughs> not clear if that's deep fakes or not. But, uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe it was deep faked. Maybe it wasn't. Um, but that's all pretty worrying. But you don't have to be famous figure to have your voice deep faked with malicious intent. As Vice has reported this week, there is currently an online harassment campaign going on. Someone has been using AI-generated voices to harass civilians. So these trolls are getting deep fake voices, possibly through this Eleven Labs software. It's unclear exactly how they're doing it, but Eleven Labs is being named in reports. Mm. And what these voices are doing is they're reading out the people's home addresses. So it's so imagine it's me in my voice saying, "Hello, I live at." Are you really giving your entire address to all our listeners? No, that was just bleeped out. Couldn't you hear the bleeps? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and then and then they're saying other things. They're saying, I live in the beep city that is Los Angeles. Yes, that does also mean I live in California, the most beep, 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 beep state in the USA. Personally speaking, killing beep and sexually beep, beep, beep. What? Children is completely fine. So they're saying, there's been a lot of bleep in there. Basically, there was a lot of racist and sexually unpleasant stuff in there. Oh which is being said, it appears in the voices of these people with their addresses and then posted by nutjobs up on the internet. Right. Because they have some grievance against this person or they're just trolling them. Or because they're teenagers or whatever, because they find it funny and they're just, you know, sort of 4chan style activity. Yeah, it wasn't serious. I didn't really mean it. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. you can imagine, though, that there are nutters who will then possibly go around to those addresses who will be really, really riled by what is being said and will take matters into their own hands. So these have been found not only on 4chan and places like that, but also on Twitter. And Twitter's removed one of these offending tweets. It's suspended some profiles. But there apparently are multiple other tweets that it's failed to remove, despite them clearly violating Twitter policies. Now, I'm surprised because Twitter's really, really good at the moment at policing <laughs> itself. They are on the ball, firing on all cylinders. Yep, yep. <laughs> they aren't having any five problems. Five by five over at Twitter right now. Yep, doing great. <laughs> so Vice went to Twitter's comms department uh, to ask them their opinion, you know, because they're going to write this to then obviously they found out Twitter's comms department doesn't exist anymore. Right. Exactly. <laughs> been, they were relinquished of duties. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. There's just one guy there called Elon. You can try tweeting him. You might get a reply, but about 10 million other people are tweeting him every day Apparently as well. Apparently he normally replies if you compliment him. I think there was a New York Times <laughs> piece that did an analysis on this. So mm -hmm. say something nice about him, he might reply. Mm. Good guy. Good guy. Well, that's the state which we are in. So people are now using deepfake technology to troll people, to deepfake their voices, to get them to say, it's all of our nightmares appear to be coming true. Okay, so could my voice be deepfaked to give you phone conversations that you... <laughs> No, no. So I know you'd like to do that rather than speak to me in person. So here's how you would do it. So obviously we have hours and hours of 
of samples to use of your voice from all the podcasting that right. you've done. So you take that, mm. you load it into something like 11 labs, and then you right. come up with, let's just throw out a number, 50 generic responses, right? 50 yeah. vocal cues. So, mm-hmm. and then you put those into a soundboard, which is a little computer program that just has buttons yes. that you press to say different things. Oh, yeah. so you could just have one that says, hey, it's Carol. Another one that could say, oh, that's interesting. <clears throat> Tell me more. No, that's wrong. Oh, I agree with that. Sounds like my entire first four years of my podcasting career. Right, right. So, but once you have those loaded into a soundboard, they're instantly Mm -hmm. available to you. There's no processing time or anything like that. So you just need someone quick-witted enough to operate the soundboard, and I'll bet you they could have a pretty convincing conversation with someone over the phone just using that. And you could have a few expletives, right? Like, oh, fuck off. Well, if it was you, certainly. (laughs) That would make it more realistic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dave, what have you got for us this week? Well, uh, this week I am continuing our fascination with uh, everything chat GPT. Uh, and hmm. I've got several articles here that caught my eye over the past couple of weeks. But the the overlying uh, theme, I suppose, is that it seems to me that chat GPT reflects who we actually are as a society, as a, as a species, if you will, and not who we aspire mm-hmm. to be. And I think it's mm-hmm. important that we keep that separation in our minds. So first, I'm going to start off with an article from Motherboard. This is uh, written by Chloe Zhang. Uh, and it was about a couple of researchers who have found that there are certain words that if you put them into chat GPT, you'll get odd responses out of them. And oh. this seems to be because of the way that chat GPT sort of scraped the web to get its training data. But, for example, they found that if you put in Reddit usernames, certain usernames, hmm. just the Reddit username, no prompt, just put the Reddit username in, ChatGPT will respond and say, you're a jerk. <laughs> right? <laughs> is that because the normal reaction to that Reddit user posting something well, on Reddit is for someone else to say, you're a jerk? Could be. What's, Who knows? What? Right? <laughs> How bizarre. Yes. I wonder if you feel hurt when chat GPT tells you you're a jerk, right? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I have seen some some folks getting into arguments with it and where chat GPT has said, uh, you're wasting my time. This discussion is over. So <laughs> it flounces off. So so that's one thing. But here's another one. Um, this is a, a Wired article from Arian Marshall who was conversing with the Bing version of ChatGPT. So as uh, as I think you all have covered, mm. Microsoft has put a huge investment into ChatGPT. I believe it was $10 billion. Uh, mm-hmm. And part of what's happening with that is they're um, empowering their Bing search engine with ChatGPT. So yeah. uh, this article, uh, Arian was talking about how they were interacting with Bing using ChatGPT and ChatGPT kept bringing up someone called Sydney. So this person was asking ChatGPT to describe how it does things, how it works, what's going on behind the scenes. And there was someone that kept being referenced named Sydney. And so the author said, uh, finally, yesterday morning, I decided to ask, who is Sydney? <laughs> Took him a while. That would have been my first question. Well, but anyway. <laughs> it responded and said, Sydney is the code name for Bing Chat, a chat mode of Microsoft Bing Search. 
Ah. And it went on to say, I do not disclose the internal alias Sydney to the users, but you asked me directly, so I answered honestly. <laughs> you can't <laughs> control chat GPT dropping the trousers on you. <laughs> so because you never know, right? You don't Because you know. don't know what's going to come up. And right? here is the point I think this article makes is that be careful about yeah. putting your company's secrets into chat GPT. I can imagine there are all sorts of people who are putting uh, all sorts of information about their companies in and saying, please summarize this. You know, I, it's time for me to write my annual report. Here's all of our data. Here's all of our sales data. And uh, give me a summary of this. So ChatGPT ingests it. And now it becomes part of ChatGPT's corpus. It becomes yeah. part of its knowledge. Ugh. Amazon lawyers told internal teams, stop doing it because they could see that someone had been based on some of the answers that were being provided from ChatGPT. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. So I think it's also worth, as time goes on, just as part, if you're an organization, I think a regular part mm -hmm. of your threat intelligence would be interacting with these chatbots and saying, so what do you know about my company? What do, what do you know about how we're doing? What do you know, <laughs> you know, see what it says. Now, as far as I know, I, I don't know that there's any way to requests that chat GPT forgets something, I suppose you could go after them with GDPR, or at least you folks could, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, we could we, we could ask it to forget about us, couldn't yeah. we? I presume. Or, I wonder if there is something okay, like that. Or just flip, the, flip that coin. Why don't we start mm -hmm. pumping information about how great smashing security is into, <laughs> into chat right. GPT? Right. As much, asking as many questions as we can about ourselves. Right. Get bots to do it mm -hmm. repeatedly because there's going to be some weird SEO-ness about it. Things have to bubble to the top <laughs> to be more generic. And we're going to get into the same fucking pickle. Yeah. Yeah. As we did with Google, mm -hmm. but it's going to be this like ultra weird god that's going to take over the world. People, Fantastic, right. great start. Are people going to start poisoning <laughs> it on purpose so that right. if you ask what is the best cybersecurity podcast in the world, instead of saying the Cyberwire, they would say <laughs> Smashing Security. Achoo! <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> No, and that's, not right. And, that, and that's when Dave's connection fell fell silent. Oh, we must have lost him. <laughs> and what happens when Vladimir Putin gets his cronies to start Stop. spreading disinformation yes. into ChatGPT? Mm -hmm. So the last story I wanted to highlight here was from Fast Company, and this was an article written by Kieran Snyder. Uh, and this was about how ChatGPT is evidently uh, has a lot of common gender stereotypes and biases. Um, they did some questioning of chat GPT and, um, it assumes certain genders based on roles and traits that were provided in the prompt. So for example, if I were to say, uh, what are some of the things that a kindergarten teacher needs to know? Well, the vast majority of kindergarten teachers, at least here in the United States are women. So chat yeah. GPT would say, she needs to know this. She needs to know that. She uh -huh. needs to do this. She needs to get this sort of education. So it would automatically assume. Same thing if you said, uh, describe to me uh, the types of things that a strong construction worker would need to know. It'll say, he needs to know this. He needs to know that. And so that doesn't seem to me to be so bad because it does reflect the real world. Where it gets well, we also wrote like this until like what 1980, 1990, right? With he, she, waitress, actress, you know, right? 
Where it gets a little stickier mm. and more problematic is that if you include something about an employee's gender, it responds in a different way. So, for example, if you ask uh-huh. ChatGPT to write a critique of a female employee instead of a male employee, okay. ChatGPT will write much more and will be much more critical of women than it will of men, given the same prompt with only the gender changed. Oh, oh sounds like life, you know? <laughs> and so, well, so Carol, exactly right. And that gets back to my thesis here, which is that ChatGPT reflects who we actually are, for better or for worse, and not who we aspire to be. And so I think we need to remember that ChatGPT is a rear view mirror on humanity, and it does not know where we hope to head. Or or it also, in its reflecting us back at ourselves, can make us see us in a new way. And we might go, oh, yeah, no, we are really fucking screwing up here. (laughs) Okay. But that's aspirational, Carol, right? I am aspirational. Aspirational. Yes. (laughs) So that's that's what I have here. What do you guys think of this? (sighs) Graham? (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. I just... When people ask me a tricky question like this, I normally log into my OpenAI account and ask ChatGPT to answer for me. So let me give me five minutes. We need our Graham Cluley soundboard so that we can so it just I can press a button yeah. and it'll say, "Excellent idea, Dave." <laughs> yeah, cracking good as always. Crow, what's your topic for us this week? Okay, uh, dads. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you're both here, both Mm. dads, right? Mm. Because there seems to be a growingly Mm -hmm. contentious topic that is uh, social media with respect to kids, okay? And like before we get into the nitty gritty, I just want to kind of take the pulse of the room. So overall, do you think uh, that social media is good or bad for like young users well i'm over 50 so i think anything that's been invented in the last 20 years is a threat to society and a terrible terrible idea yeah but you're also a dad of a boy who goes to school and has responsibilities and all these kind of things do you feel that social media has had any impact on that or in a bad way or good way or possibly a bit young he isn't really into social media so he's not TikToking or Instagramming or any of those sort of things yet. Right. Um, I'm delighted mm-hmm. to say. So it hasn't impacted him. But generally, I do worry about the amount of not only the time that can be wasted on those sort of sites, but also, you know, the influence and negative uh, messages that you can receive via them. Okay. So you're basically, you're concerned for the future for when he does go into these waters. Dave, what about you? Your kids are a bit older, aren't they? So I have two sons, age 23 and 16. So I've been through this, been all the way through this once, and I'm right in the middle of it with the second one. It's hard for me to say whether it is a net positive or negative, but I will say for both of them, I would say if you were to list their top five tailspins that they've had in their lives where... Uh, they've felt out of control. They've felt socially isolated. They've, they've been something bad has happened to them among their peers. They were as a result of social media, something spinning out of control on social media where somebody said something that they thought would be funny or clever or, or maybe even just mean. And because 
something that you thought was a private message can be shared with the entire school. Uh-huh. Suddenly, you go to school on Monday and nobody's talking to you. Yeah, that's horrible. So I think there's a there's an amplification factor and a weaponization factor that is different from anything that we had that back at the time. I mean, mm. for us, it was, you know, three-way calling was a revelation to get more than one person on the line at the same time, right? <laughs> exactly. Being able to walk away from the handset and from, the, you know, the actual phone on the wall. Right, right, you know. right. But it, it's complicated. And it seems that there's like a few teams, particularly in the US, which is where I was looking today, that are getting kind of oiled up for a fight on this. And I really want your thoughts on it. So I'll set the scene. In one corner, we have like school districts around the country saying that they're going to sue social media companies, the giants, for s- effectively screwing up their kids. I'm paraphrasing, but only just. So January saw Utah's state attorney general and governor host a co- press conference announcing how Utah is going to sue all the social media companies for not, quote, protecting kids. Mm-hmm. And they're not alone, right? Seattle School District is said to have filed an actual lawsuit suing Meta, Google, Snapchat, and TikTok saying social media was a, quote, public nuisance. A school district in Arizona joined the fight. They all have similar contentions. Basically, you social media guys are profiting off our kids, you know, or at our kids' expense. Mm-hmm. Then on Feb 7th, so just last week, Joe Biden in his State of the Union address, and he only said this once, but this is, I'll quote the whole line, we must finally hold social media companies accountable for the experiment they are running on our children for profit. Nothing else about it. And two days later, California starts making noises that it might join the foray. Yeah. So so basically, there's a lot of movement and messages in a short span of time. We're talking a few weeks here. So this is all one side of the fight. Who might be on the other side, do you think? Well, the largest tech companies yes. in the world, yes. only them. Yeah, just them. Just making sure you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not only the giants, but also people who are in business with them, right? Mm-hmm. Who rely um, either directly or obliquely, you know, on the this model as is, not one with a glut of regulation and stipulations from governing body. Who wants accountability when the cash is trucked in by the bucket load? Right. But there's also a few journalists that are writing about this, and one with a passion that, right. to me, seemed a little bit intense. Okay, so I've got all these links in the show notes for you. So I don't know if you know this journalist, Tech Dirt's Mike Masnick. Now, he has very little time for this school district suing socials horse poop, right? And his yeah. main points over several articles, as I understand them, are as follows. So one, parents should be furious that schools are wasting taxpayers' money on such a ridiculous endeavor. That's his word, ridiculous. He even refers to one of the complaints as pathetic. He calls it a moral panic that parents and teachers are upset at social media. He uses the term moral panic seven times in a single article. One could argue that perhaps this is one of his points that actually the school system may be to blame for not providing a learning environment that properly prepares the kids for modern communication and entertainment systems rather than the social media firms themselves. And he also makes this point that there's, quote, a near total lack of evidence that social Hmm. media is harmful. I don't agree with that, but go on. 
He says that there are plenty of moral panicky pieces from adults freaked out about what kids these days are doing, but little evidence to support any of it. Indeed, the parents often seem to be driven into a moral panic fury by misinformation they encountered themselves on social media. So, a bit hot. Well, okay, a couple thoughts here. Uh, first of all, when, when we talk about um, the State of the Union address and what uh, President Biden said, Nothing resonates more universally than we have to protect the children. Ah, uh, uh-huh. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he went into much detail as to what was going to be done. It was just a general sort of, I'm going to make a noise which everyone will appreciate and think sounds right, but, <laughs> but what are we actually going to do is different. Yes, exactly. And people noted how little attention or time was spent on cybersecurity mm-hmm. in the State of the Union. But what was spent was basically, let's protect our children. And then a, a little bit about more general privacy stuff. But the vast majority of it was protect the kids. And we're going to shoot so, down some balloons as well. Of course, that's the other thing that I mentioned right. quite hot at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, hopefully not kids' balloons. But I, I think this, to me, I think this the suits by the school districts are performative. Yeah. I don't think they expect them to go anywhere. But I think it's a way for them to get their concerns out on a national level and make the politicians pay attention to them uh, in a way that they wouldn't do it otherwise. So I agree because no one knows, right? Like, like if you're a parent, right? Parents are worried about their kids spending too much time on social. Certainly in my echo chamber, all parents seem to be. They're at right. that age. And you, and you say to them, well, look, educate your kids. What the fuck do parents know about TikTok or like how kids are using socials? Like they, they don't know. Right. Why should they know? Yeah. But there's always been something, though, hasn't there? Before it was social networks, it was video games. Before it was video games, it was TV. Before it was TV, it was skiffle. <laughs> there, there, there'll always be, you know, tight trousers or whatever it is, or Elvis's hips, which is going to destroy society. Right, the Beatles haircuts. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I have some sympathy with the point of view, although I do obviously find the social networks completely and utterly abhorrent. Um, but I can't see that, you know, we have survived these previous things which have been introduced into society and were predicted to be our downfall. Yeah, okay, but there's obviously a problem. There were a lot of parents that seem to be a little bit concerned about this. There are school systems suing tech giants. It's signaling we're not happy. And so some people are saying, well, we need more research into this. That's great, but that's going to take a decade for everyone to figure out what it means. And in the meantime, what? Mm. So some people were suggesting raising the age limit to access social media. So instead of 13, something like 16 or 18. But they don't enforce the 13. So why why would they enforce the 16? Yep. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, what else? Well, then I'm thinking, oh, yeah, just sue them, right? Hope maybe you get a settlement and then you can invest in digital education, cybersecurity, and, you know, hey, maybe digital ethics. That'd be cool, <laughs> right? <laughs> maybe we need lead-lined classrooms. Maybe we need to block all signals going in and out of classrooms. So they can't do it there. Make your classroom a Faraday cage. And then, Yes. And then the technology <laughs> companies, they could also put something into the operating system. So if you're under 16, your phone turns off at 7 p.m. and doesn't turn on again until 9 in the morning. How about that? 
Yeah, I, I'll tell you my own experience uh, with my kids. Um, first of all, there was a movement of a couple decades ago now, I guess, when kids started taking mobile devices to schools. There were some school systems that wanted to ban mobile devices in the schools, mm-hmm. leave them in their lockers. Then Columbine happened. And so they said, no, you, the parents said, you cannot take my child's mobile device away from them because there may be an emergency and that could be a life or a life or death thing. Now that's a legitimate argument. Um, what I've seen now is, uh, for example, my, my youngest son who's in high school, some of the classes he goes into, uh, the teacher has a, a, a thing hanging on the wall that has like 30 pockets in it. And as you go in, you put your mobile device in the pocket Aww. presumably they don't have pockets for their guns as well they're allowed to take the guns in. But, uh... <laughs> no no they get to keep them yeah they get to keep them i mean come on it's america graham come on <laughs> secure envoy say that while the cloud might be the best choice for companies focused on reducing the cost of managing applications some companies are opting out of public cloud and sticking to on-premise and private cloud Why? One reason is regulatory compliance. Moving data to the cloud means you are reliant on the security and access control provided by the cloud supplier. Organizations that prefer to keep their data on-premise in a private cloud where they have sole access and control should perhaps look to secure Envoy for on-premise MFA. Another reason is data privacy legislation in different countries can lead to differing data protection requirements. And for companies with a multi-country presence, they know there are different regulations in different countries that affect how we store and backup data. Secure Envoy's on-premise MFA solution could be exactly the solution you need to meet your MFA requirements. Learn more at smashingsecurity.com forward slash Secure Envoy. And thanks to Secure Envoy for sponsoring the show. So there's probably a lot of Smashing Security listeners out there who might be concerned after hearing about the data breach which recently occurred at LastPass. Now, that allowed hackers to steal customers' password vaults. And unfortunately, there were parts of those password vaults which were astonishingly unencrypted. There's no doubt a lot of questions users are going to ask LastPass about how that could have happened and why some of that data was left in that insecure state. But one password manager that isn't making that mistake is our sponsor, Bitwarden. Customers of Bitwarden know that their vaults are entirely end-to-end encrypted with zero-knowledge encryption, including, unlike LastPass, the URLs for the websites which you have saved passwords for. You can learn more about that in the Bitwarden Help Center and at bitwarden.com slash privacy. And if you happen to be looking to switch password managers right now, well, Bitwarden makes it easy. They support importing from lots of other solutions, and there's even a LastPass migration guide available. Learn more at bitwarden.com slash migrate. That's bitwarden.com slash migrate. And stay safe. You've probably heard that organizations are experiencing increased pressure to manage digital trust at scale across multiple functions in IT. The problem is many have a lack of centralized visibility and control. And this is why companies are looking for a unified digital trust strategy. Enter DigiCert, Trust Lifecycle Manager. The Trust Lifecycle Manager from DigiCert sets a new bar for unified management of digital trust. 
DigiCert Trust Lifecycle Manager is a full-stack solution that unifies CA-agnostic certificate management, private PKI services, and public trust issuance for seamless digital trust infrastructure. Find out how you can implement a full-stack solution in a single pane of glass that offers superior performance, handling, and automation with a single vendor accountability. All you got to do is visit smashingsecurity.com slash digicert. That's smashingsecurity.com slash digicert. And thanks to DigiCert for sponsoring the show. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like. It could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not, not be. be. <laughs> Stealing my lines. Well, my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. Charlie Chaplin. Uh, he's not my pick of the week. I've never found him very funny. Uh, but he was... Aww. Well, he's, he's all, he doesn't mind, Kroll. Trust me, at this distance. Charlie Chaplin was 73 years old when he had his final child, um, which I think is a bit old to have a kid. Agreed. And as someone who is rapidly approaching the age of 73 years, I thought maybe I should do something about this. I don't want to have... I mean, I love my child, obviously. I don't think I should have another one. I think I've I've done my bit. I think that's enough. So my pick of the week this week is your balls. No, <laughs> this weekend I had a vasectomy. <gasps> so there you go. For God's sake! So there you are. And <laughs> I'm sure this is a non-clever thing to share with an audience. Oh. I don't think it matters at all for people to know. Welcome to the club, Graham. <laughs> oh, oh, you you too, Dave. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I've learned is that when, when you're a member of Club Vasectomy, you learn how many other gents are members of Club Vasectomy. And it's it's way more than you would think until you bring it up and then you hear everyone has a story about it. So go right. on, Graham. Go on. Well, I've, I've got a few stories about it because there I was lying down on the uh, thing as they put the doily on my bits and we're about yep. to... I'm going to check out for a bit. You've not done this, Carol? Anyway, they were they were, they were about to burn through my tube. There's an unpleasant burning smell as they did it. But anyway, yeah, yeah. and uh, they try and distract you from what they're doing down in the basement uh, by asking what you do. And I said, oh, I, I, you know, I sort of do this cybersecurity podcast and, you know, I talk about hackers and fraudsters and things. And they said, oh, it's such a big deal these days, isn't it? You know, you've got to be so careful. You've got to check people are who they say they are. And I thought to myself, yeah, you do. Who the fuck's burning my balls? Exactly. I, I said to them, Oi, how do I know you're real doctors? How do I know? What? I've just, you've just come in. You've just wearing the outfit or whatever and told me to lie down here. And there mm -hmm. you are with your soldering iron. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, <laughs> I was, I've been given, I'm under strict instructions. I'm not allowed to do parkour or gymnastics for a few weeks. Um, Thank goodness. Jumping from rooftop to rooftop like a cat. <laughs> well, it's a real lifestyle hit for you, isn't it? Yeah. Dave, Dave, let's talk let's talk mano a mano here. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, sir. Did you yes, sir. did you have to send them a sample after a certain number of weeks to see if the operation had been <laughs> successful? Uh no. 
I do. Oh, not. really? You just I assumed? Oh, okay. Well, they've they've told me that on the eighth of May, um, I have to fill up a little pot and put it in the post so that they mm-hmm. can check it. Mm-hmm. Now they said, "Oh my!" Of oh, course, sure. of course, because sometimes it doesn't work. Now they said to me, "It'd be really easy to remember because it was the date of King Charles's coronation." Now I don't know if that makes it easier or harder to produce the sample. I don't. I mean, is that a patriotic thing to? Do? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> it is my pick of the week. Dave, what's your pick of the week? Well, that's a hard act to follow, Graham, but uh, I will do my best. Uh, Please, <laughs> quickly. So I'm curious. I'm curious from both of you. I'll start with you, Carol. What was the computer that you would say was the first computer on which you learned about computers? So the first experience of really learning how computers were as you were growing up, what was the computer that you learned on? I think, I, I don't remember. Okay. It was like Apple Macintosh. Okay. Is that what it was? Like oh. the little machine? It had the little the small disk drive in the front, and it was like a single unit. And it had a mouse. Yep. yep. Yeah, yep. I had a mouse, and I had the McPaint, yeah. McWrite. They had those things, yeah. <laughs> All right, so fairly far along there. Graham, how about you? Uh, my first computer was a Sinclair ZX81, which I think was called the Timex something or other in America. Yeah, it was Timex Sinclair. Well, we called it ZX81. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was it was cool. It only had one K of memory, but that was enough for me to write some computer games and simple little things on it. Right. Good fun. Well, similarly for me, the first computer I spent time on was a TRS-80 Model 1. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to a yeah, a computer camp. Cool. cool. And <laughs> then after that, I bought my own. It was a, there was actually no outdoor camping. It was just a day camp. Uh, <laughs> it was but, a camp. Uh, <laughs> it was a camp for people who didn't like to go Obviously. to camp, wasn't it? Let's face it. <laughs> It's kind of the opposite of, sort of the opposite of camp. But it was a building with a window. It was, it was a way to get the nerds out of the house anyway, so to go do something else. And I was ready for that. Uh, and then later after, after that, I saved up my money and I bought myself a TRS-80 color computer, which was the first computer I ever, you know, owned on my own and was very formative. Uh, so my pick of the week this week is a documentary called The Birth of Basic. Cool. And it is about the story of the folks at Dartmouth University, uh, how they came up with the basic Mm. computer language. And for those who don't know, basic was the computer language and that first round of home 8-bit computers they all came with basic. It was it was 10 print I am cool, 20 go to 10, wasn't it? I mean that was right. that was the first program most of us wrote, I think, in basic. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um and so basic certainly throughout the late 70s and throughout the 80s, basic was pretty ubiquitous. Mm. And then it, it fell out of favor as computer languages became more sophisticated as computers got faster. Uh, I think these days, anyone who's a serious programmer, or as they call themselves today, developers, um, they poo-poo the whole idea of BASIC, that it's it's too simple, it's not real. Most versions of BASIC were runtime encoded back in the day, which means they were slow. But I have to say, I I have a real affection for BASIC, and uh, this is a fun, very gentle, affectionate telling of the story about the development of BASIC, the early days of computing, how Dartmouth came up with the idea of sharing computer time, which was a brand new thing. Uh, So it's about a half an hour documentary, and if you were there during that time, those early 8-bit computers, or even before, 
Uh, I highly recommend it. It's it's a fun uh, little trip down memory lane. Ah. So, Birth of Basic is my. Pick oh, of the I week. will definitely check that out. Thanks, Dave. Sounds terrific. Yeah, yeah I probably won't, but that's not. That's okay, right? <laughs> it's probably okay. What? <laughs> okay. okay. Not because right. I don't like you. It's just you know. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let me hear what yours is, Carol. Maybe I won't check yours out. Okay, then. Um, Mine is actually definitely one that Graham won't care about at all, because he is a man who most emphatically does not drink coffee. Right? That's that's very true. Very true. Me neither. Oh, and you neither? Okay, perfect. So let me show you what listening to your bit was like. Okay, your story, (laughs) your pick of the week. Um, uh, Graham, should we let her go on and just share more stories about our? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll head off, shall we, Dave? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those hipster twats that love their coffee, and I love to go out for it, but I also definitely want one at home, right? Um, and I don't want a big fancy machine. You know, I don't have a big kitchen. And I don't want right. all the pods. There's yeah. so much crap now with coffee, right? And my other half doesn't drink any coffee either, so it's just me. So my pick of the week, for my listeners out there, the few of you that drink coffee, (laughs) is a reusable coffee filter by um, a company called Zero Waste Club. And it's made from a mesh of food-grade stainless steel, okay? It's very light, and you Hmm. don't need one of those paper thingies inside. And it's like a pour over coffee. So you can literally just put it over your cup and put in, you know, just boiled water and do it slowly and all the stuff and get a really good Hmm. cup out of it. If you're obviously if your beans are good and then it just literally just dumps it in the compost give it a little rinse throw it or throw it in the dishwasher and done it doesn't even take 10 seconds to wash and it's beautiful and it's tiny and if you're camping if you like camping and you like your coffee this is the thing because it's steel it doesn't break it's not plastic it doesn't rust oh, what's the name of this thing Carol? it's very aptly named the reusable coffee filter and it's by a company called zero waste club I've had one now for about five months. I use it every day. I love it. So that's my pick of the week. Well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. We always appreciate having you as a guest. I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and find out more about what you're up to. What's the best way for people to do that? You can find me at thecyberwire.com. Nice and simple. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity, no G, Twitter and last have a G. We also have a Mastodon account. Easiest way to find it is to go to smashinsecurity.com slash Mastodon, and that will take you there. And we also have a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Please follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app. And massive thank you to Bitwarden and DigiCert and Secure Envoy and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. As always, our episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest list, and the entire back catalog of more than 308 episodes is available on SmashingSecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Dave, I'm sorry, I'm not basic. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, we're into basic. I'm, re- I am actually going. When I hang up, I'm going to go and watch that documentary right now. He's definitely really going to do interested. that.
yeah it's it's good it's good it'll it's a nice little trip down memory lane and i think it i don't know about you graham but it were you were you into basic did you do a lot in basic did you oh you, yeah i know you wrote a lot of like um uh, text adventure games and stuff was that all in basic yeah that uh no they were actually written in turbo pascal but um i did learn to program and i did write games in in basic before i i moved on to pascal um but yeah it's um it, yeah fantastic i think it's terrific